What's up, guys? Welcome back to West Coast Buys, Season 4, Episode 9. Uh, for the first time, I think all NFL season, we're going to be talking a little football to start out with um, today before we transition to our usual NBA. Um, we're going to be predicting kind of the, the playoff picture, what we think the, the cha- NFL uh, Conference Championships are going to be, um, and then follow that up with some Super Bowl predictions. Uh, and then we're going to get into some NBA talk. Um regarding playoff teams, some of the surprises, and, and how the Blazers and um, Kings have pulled themselves out of the, the crisis that was three or four weeks ago. Um, but let's start with the NFL. Uh, it seems pretty clear in my mind that uh, there's there's pretty much three te- three or four teams that I think are kind of above, above the rest. Um, and that's not including the Patriots, who you always have to include in the Final Four. So I would say right now, the Ravens, 49ers, and, and Seahawks, and possibly the Saints are, are pretty clearly the in that in that top tier. What say you? Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I would also, I think we can expand this to six real contenders, include the Chiefs, uh, if we're already including the Patriots, because the Chiefs have so much explosive potential. But realistically... Other playoff teams, well, there's a really clear divide between have and have-nots. There's 10 total competent teams in football, and the sixth wild card in one league is going to be terrible, and in the other, one of the conference champions is probably going to be about 6-10, and because I'm not convinced either the Cowboys or Eagles will win a game for the remainder of the year. Hell, Washington could win still uh, in the AFC, uh, NFC East. It's a nightmare division. So you're telling me so, you're not a, a Ryan Hanna, Tannehill or, or Duck Hodges fan? I, I am. I'm a big fan of the, the Tannehill assaults. Uh, it's a shame that it came at the expense of Marcus Mariota, who I always liked, I even though he was not fun to watch. Uh, but I am not going to pretend that I don't love watching Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry shockingly win every week. But I'm also not going to pretend that team's good. Right. <laughs> the Titans, they'll be 9-7. and seven. They'll probably, they're, they're my lock for the sixth seed. I think I have, right now I'm assuming the Texans win and they get the sixth seed, both at about 9-7. and seven. But, you know, they're just... There's not that there's not that much more to talk about in the AFC outside of that. The AFC is an ugly, ugly, ugly division, including the uh, what are they now? Eight and four Bills. That is not an they're interesting nine, or good team. Nine and three right now. Jesus, nine yeah. and three. Uh, they have, uh, as must have been talked about, they have not really played anybody that really had a great performance to speak of, but they haven't stopped winning games, so they're nine and three. But I don't really have them as a contender. I think pretty comfortably you have to include the. Uh, the Ravens, who are everybody's number one right now because they have an incredible defense and they have an unbelievable running game and they have an MVP-level quarterback, and those are the teams that win Super Bowls. They have uh, the obvious three teams in the AFC being the 49ers and Seahawks who are going to have one to two more unbelievable games this season and have already had a classic. There are teams that hate each other and have Super Bowl-level talents and Super Bowl-level coaching, uh, which is shocking to me because I didn't think either team really had high-level talent going into the season, but they've both really impressed me. Uh, in particular, the Seahawks. I didn't really think the Seahawks roster was going anywhere, but they added Jadavion Clowney and a few guys step up, uh, getting a great bit of contribution out of DK Metcalf, which is a pleasant surprise for me. He's my favorite chocolate milk endorser since Kevin Love, uh, which is including Al Horford, so that's quite a list of strange athletes. <laughs> well, let's let's briefly, before we get into the AFC, so AFC is, is some, I have some thoughts. Uh, I don't remember the last time there's been a, a quite as consequential division race as, as the NFC West, and the funny thing is it doesn't even include the Rams, who have been horrible, and um, 
don't appear to be even part of the wild card discussion at this point. Of course, they still have a little bit of time if they're able to uh, somehow beat the Seahawks this weekend. Um, but if you had to pick one of between the Seahawks and the Niners, first of all, to, to win the division and get that all-important buy, um, the, with the way Dallas is playing, it doesn't really appear that it's going to matter anyways. But... Um, who would you pick to to be the to be the favorite just for the rest the remaining three games of the three or four games of the season or whatever we have? So I haven't looked at the schedule, so I'm not entirely sure how it's going to play out. But if I understand correctly, if the Seahawks beat the 49ers and they both win out, otherwise the Seahawks win on tiebreaker, correct? Yes. Okay, in that case, I'm going to take the Seahawks. I think the 49ers are a better team, but I do not think the 49ers win that matchup. And that's far, far more important, right? I think that's the sort of situation that Russell Wilson in his also MVP level season, that's the sort of game he wins. We saw him simply refuse to lose even after he threw a back-breaking interception last time they played. And even though that offensive line, just like every other offensive line in the league, can't handle Eric Armstead and Joey Bosa, I'd still pick the Seahawks in that game. But I think they and the 49ers are the two best teams in the AFC. So NFC, yes. Uh, as for... The consequence of that, they both essentially get a bye because the loser will be the sixth seed. Or, oh no, the loser will be the five seed, five so they'll seed. play the fourth. So they will play the division winner from the AFC, the NFC East, which I've discussed as a nightmare division. Yeah. So that's more or less a bye, which means it's very, very likely we get that in the round anyway. Right. So, so last year the Seahawks got that that fifth seed, uh, I believe, and ended up playing the Cowboys. Um, and even last year when the Seahawks weren't all that good, I think most people assumed that the Seahawks were going to win that game and had not been for some incredibly poor coaching. Um, they would have. Um, this year, despite the Cowboys having even even greater level of talent and everyone seems to be healthy and yada, 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 they, they're bad. Jason Garrett's bad and everyone's bad. Um, they've now lost to the Bills and the Bears and, and Josh Allen, Mitch Trubisky in back-to-back weeks. Um not only have they lost, but they've gotten completely dominated by Josh Allen and Mitch Trubisky, um, who both looked really good. Um, but, yeah, I think it's safe to say that that's, that's not the worst. And then the, the thing about the NFC is that you also then have um, the some combination of the Vikings, Saints, and Packers um, waiting on the other side, which I'm not super convinced by, by the Vikings, just, just because I don't really buy Kirk Cousins. Um, in a playoff series um, or in a playoff game. Um, Packers don't really want to go up against Aaron Rodgers, even though they've looked really unconvincing the last second second half of the season. Um, and the Saints uh, will find a way to get screwed by the refs in the playoffs anyways, you'd have to imagine, but you don't want to be going to New Orleans. Uh, so if the Seahawks can get that home, home field advantage, which they currently have, um, that would be, I think, a huge deal. Um, and then also the other the other factor is the the Niners play the Saints this weekend. So if the Seahawks, um, even if if, if the Seahawks uh, lost to the Niners, but the Niners also lost to the Saints, um, I think the Seahawks would still be the number one seed. But I'd have to look into that a little further. Right. Uh, well, that's a situation where uh, the Saints also could theoretically just get seeding off of the uh, any of those AFC West teams losing as well, right? Right. Well, I think they'd be the number. They'd then be the number one seed, but the the division right. winner would still. Well, either way, you're in a situation where we we can't imagine the Packers winning out with the way they've been playing. So you're in a situation where the Saints and the AFC West champ, NFC West championship advice. Yeah. So how does Rashad Penny figure into the Super Bowl conversation? 
Well, clearly this is their X factor. They found a guy who has uh, what I like to call the Derrick Henry set, which is that he is large enough and strong enough that people bounce off him, but fast enough that he can outrun the people that can bounce off him. Uh, which is that's what you need in a running back these days. I don't know. Uh, Todd Gurley also has this particular skill set. I don't know why anybody would want any running back that doesn't have just those traits and nothing else. It's very fun. Uh, obviously, also all three of those players can catch passes. It's great. Uh, Chris I Thompson, think I think uh, the difference between loves, Penny oh. and those other two is that Penny actually looks to be like a little bit on the chubby side. Um, right. He's more of a bowling <laughs> ball. Derrick Henry's just huge. And, right. And, well, the difference, I think, is that Rashad Penny looks like he's a little out of weight at two, uh, out of shape at two twenty, and yeah. Derrick Henry looks lean at two fifty. Yeah. So it's a little bit of an unfair comparison, but it's the style of running more than anything else. Uh, of course, uh, fans of San Diego State football will remember that Rashad Penny was paired with the all-time leading question, uh, rusher in uh, college football history, uh, who was five foot nine and about one eighty. So back then he was the bruiser, uh, and compared to Chris Carson, I suppose he is still, but. They have a more similar style. But the bigger issue that with the Seahawks running game in general is it still doesn't seem, even after these four games of heavy use, that Pete Carroll trusts Penny. And he definitely doesn't trust Chris Carson, considering he's fumbled every other game this season, I believe. Yeah. It's definitely been a problem for them, but they're also it's, it's a weird situation where they're both so good um, and they still run the ball so much. It's almost like they're a little confused, um, even though they also have Russell Wilson. So you'd think they'd... Um, just use Russell Wilson, especially since they also, you know, now have uh, Metcalf, Lockett, Josh Gordon, um, and whatever white guy at tight end uh, they put there because Russell Wilson loves white guys at tight end who you've never heard of before. Um, but yeah, I think the underrated part of the Seahawks is their defense, which hasn't been good, certainly, but is much better than it used to be. Um, because of Clowney, but also um, I think mostly because of uh, Quandre Diggs, who um, replaced Tedrick Thompson, who was the worst player on that defense, and who the Lions just kind of inexplicably traded for a third-round pick, um, beside being one of probably the top 10 safeties, in, in, or top 10 to 15 safeties in the league. They just kind of threw him to the Seahawks, and he's made a huge difference for them. Um, and then also the difference, if we're looking at the Niners, the difference between Russell Wilson, Jimmy Garoppolo in a in a playoff series in a playoff game is just kind of hard to overlook. Um, so even though the Niners' defense, I think, is safely much better than the Seahawks, um, I think Russell Wilson versus Jimmy Garoppolo kind of outweighs right. that. Um, right. Well, we're well, we're talking about uh, the 49ers, though. We do need to remember that Kittle uh, was not playing fully healthy in that Seahawks game, and is by far the best offensive weapon on the 49ers. Uh, all three of their running backs are fantastic functionally, and Braid is probably the best of them, and Monster probably the second best. But they're pretty much interchangeable. That's really the line that's given them their opportunities. But well, it Kittle's is, the only guy who could really create on his own. If you're giving me one one coach. Um, in the league right now, maybe outside of Belichick, or be, and probably even including Belichick, someone wants to be coached by Belichick. Um, I think Shanahan's my easily my favorite coach in the league. Um, right. They don't, uh, other than Kittle, um, yeah, their their running backs are okay, but I would say they're they're better than any, or I'd say they're worse than most good teams as number one running backs. They're just all pretty good. Um, they they don't really have any receiving talent outside of Kittle and uh, Debo Samuel is actually amazing. Um, now they have Emmanuel Sanders, so it's a little better, but they don't really have a lot of talent at offensive skill positions, and they're still kind of a, a scary offense when they're working. Um, 
and Garoppolo is really the one who needs to kind of put it together. But I think he's also been kind of unfairly maligned just because he's by far the worst quarterback of the, the elite group of teams. Um, when you're comparing him to Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, uh, Patrick Mahomes, and Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers, it's kind of tough. Um, so what's your what's your NFC championship um, game and then prediction to who goes to the Super Bowl? So uh, I think uh, just quickly going back to this uh, 49ers Seahawks thing, I think it's you're spot on with the Garoppolo Wilson thing because both of them, their defenses are built around a superstar pass rusher that they acquired this year, uh, one in the trade, one in the draft. Uh, and one other good pass rusher. Both of them have strong uh, secondaries and linebacking cores, but the Seahawks obviously have one much more talented linebacker, and the uh, secondary pass rusher on the 49ers being Eric Armstead is also much more effective than any the Seahawks have. And offensively, they're one very talented player on offense, uh, catching the ball with Kittle or Lockett, and a good offensive line and a bunch of running backs that do their job well, and some receivers that can do their job well enough. But then you get back to the quarterbacks, and you're talking about a game manager versus... Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson, who is, and I don't think we say this enough, already a first ballot Hall of Famer, uh, probably the only player who's come into the NFL in this decade that we can say that about yet, which is a feat and a half. So I think Seahawks, they're my pick all the way to that championship game. I have them getting to their, uh, I believe the way the seating works out, if it's if it's three and five, they should be able to be in a situation where they meet in the NFC championship game rather than in the semifinals. And I have the Seahawks putting that to go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think I think that's a safe bet at this point. Um, I would like to pick the Saints, but I just I don't know if just Michael Thomas is enough on offense since they seem to be scared of using Kamara. I don't know if he's playing hurt. Also, um, real fast with the Niners defense, it's kind of amazing that half of that line, Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner, kind of late era Chip Kelly, uh, Mark Helfrick, um, Oregon grads, um, where those defenses were never really considered the the pinnacle of, of the team itself so it's kind of interesting that they now form half of the, the best defensive line in the league um, but yeah I'd agree with you I, I think those two will they'll meet and especially if the game's in Seattle I see that see uh, the Seahawks moving um, to the Super Bowl just because it's it's hard for me to imagine a situation where Russell Wilson loses a close game to anybody let alone Jimmy Garoppolo right this entire season has been Russell Wilson winning close games that his team's tried to lose yeah um, moving on to the East, I, th- I feel like, or the AFC, just because um, we've, we've, why do I always think of the East as the AFC? It's the same in, in, in baseball. I always think of the NFC as the, or the, I don't even remember what they call it in, in baseball. Um, I think it's actually American kind of League is the West, but. NFC is consistently stronger, but the AFC has bigger stars, yeah. uh, which I guess has changed since LeBron left. <laughs> but. Yeah, similar. But okay, um, I feel I feel I do feel like uh, maybe it's because of their horrible, horrible defense and the fact that Mahomes has been out for most of the, for a few games this year. I wouldn't say most, but he's been out for two or three games. But I do feel like people are really overlooking the Chiefs here as a as a threat. Um, certainly, the Ravens are the the best team in, in the league right now, and the Patriots are the Patriots, so that makes sense. Um, but it's kind of weird that I haven't really heard a lot about Mahomes um, and the Chiefs. Obviously, their defense is really, really bad, which is part of it. Yeah, I definitely, I would still think the Chiefs are in this. I think Mahomes has been an MVP caliber player in the games he's played up until the last two, when he's kind of come back and not needed to be. And he's still by far the 
most electric, exciting, explosive player in all of football with Lamar Jackson. He's not as versatile as Lamar Jackson, but he has a skill that literally nobody has. Frankly, nobody's had in my lifetime, which is cool and great. And that's pretty hard to overlook when you have a dynamic receiver like he does next to him, let alone when you have a high-level tight end who's been the best or second-best tight end in the league for the last five years next to him as well. Their running game really, really has been an underrated thing that's gone wrong. Last year, they were an elite running team even after they lost Kareem Hunt to reasons, and the reasons being it's a terrible person. But they still are in a better place overall than I think a lot of people are talking about them being. Just because they haven't been as explosive of late doesn't mean that that won't change what it needs to. The defense is bad, but it's not atrocious. It's not It's not bad enough that it's impossible for them to I think the them. problem is is that it's the, the part of the defense that's really bad is the run defense, um, which if you play the Ravens, that's all of a sudden a really, really huge problem. Um, right. With others. And, and with that... With the Patriots these days too, the right. Patriots have been playing and mostly. I, I think that the back. the point about the running backs is kind of understated, but true. I think that while running back, you shouldn't be drafting running backs in the first round. I think having a really good one still matters. And as someone who uh, drafted a Chiefs running back um, in the second round of our fantasy playoffs, kind of assume, or draft just assuming that because it was the Chiefs, it would work out. Um, their best running back this year, I don't even know who it's been. I mean, it's got it probably LaShawn McCoy, but he hasn't been good. They don't trust him very much. He's getting load managed. They've gone four or five deep. Um, this week, their top three running backs are all injured, so it's some combination of McCoy, Darwin Thompson, and Spencer Ware, who just got re-signed all of a sudden. Um, I do think that losing Kareem Hunt actually made a really huge difference, and people didn't really realize how good Kareem Hunt actually is. Um, and then that was kind of a, a big loss for them. Um, right, we're been, seeing that on the Browns right now. Right. And there's been other factors to it as well, and I would love Andy Reid to um, get to the Super Bowl, but I think that because of Lamar Jackson, that window might have closed if they have to go to Baltimore. I think if it was in Kansas City, I think they, they, would, they would win. But it's hard for me to see that defense – keeping up with Lamar Jackson in, in Baltimore. Right. Well, the nice thing about that team is that their three best players are all very young, and one of them isn't going to be paid for another two years. The not-so-nice thing about that team is that there's no real path for that defense to improve uh, unless they get it's late in, uh, in late rounds of the draft. Uh, they're, they're not really owing – I don't believe they owe any first-round picks to anybody, but they're obviously not going to be picking above 24th anytime soon. Yeah. So they might be stuck in a land where they're a division winner that uh, loses the AFC Championship game every year for the next five years. Right. Uh, but I still have them in that championship game against so, the Ravens. I have obviously have winning. And the reason I believe that is because I think both of the teams in the AFC East are bad. And I don't mean bad as in terrible. I mean bad as in in a better division, they'd be a 6-10 and 10 team. Uh, Patriots are came into this last couple of weeks being talked about as an all-time defense, and they are simply not. They're really not that talented. When you look at that roster, there's two very good players of 11. I don't really think they've done that much more than play terrible opponents and embarrass them. And their offense looks downright terrible of late, and just because they haven't needed it, it hasn't mattered. Yeah, I think that Patriots, because of their organization and their ability to kind of pick uh, average players off other teams... Have really, haven't really been uh, pinned enough for how bad their drafting's been lately. Um, obviously, the Sony Michelle over Lamar Jackson pick is just completely inexcusable, and everyone knew it at the time. Um, 
I think there's something like they've their last four first round picks. I think only one of them is on the team. Um, and really, it's been bad. They've, they've drafted Jacoby Myers and Keel Harry and um, obviously traded a second-round pick for Sanu, who's now hurt. And Brady's certainly not as good as he you know, was any time recently, but he also only has Julian Edelman right now. Um, so while it's always hard to count out the Patriots, and I'm certainly not doing so, I think that if they run up against... Um, the Ravens, they're certainly not going to win. I would, I would be interested in seeing a Chiefs game. Um, so right now, so the Ravens would be the number one seed. The Patriots would be number two. Um, Chiefs number three. Um, and then um, Texans number four. Is that how it would be? And then, yeah. And then uh, would be the Titans and the Steelers? Or am I missing somebody? That sounds right. Uh, no, no, the, the, Bill, the Bills and one of the Titans or the Steelers oh, the Bills, would be the right. other one. Um, yeah, and I, I, I was with you on the Bills, and I think I, I still am as, as a playoff threat. I don't think that they're at all a playoff threat, but I think that they've been really, really impressive. That Dallas game, they really, and Dallas has now looked bad two straight weeks, so that doesn't look quite as impressive as it did on Thanksgiving, but I was really impressed by them, and their defense is legitimately really good, um, and, and that's always helpful. Josh Allen... Um, is is used how Mitch Trubisky should probably be used in Chicago. They don't really try to make him do too much at all. Um, they let him run around and do Josh Allen He's, stuff. Um, uh, I, which I, I actually think is fantastic coaching, by the way. They yeah. understand the limits of the player they drafted, who they wildly overdrafted, who is not good. But he has two skills in that he can throw a ball very far and he can run and take hits, and they're actively using those well. It's, I think, kind of impressive coaching to the point where People are talking about Josh Allen, not to the same degree, but as a sort of similar sort of player to Lamar Jackson, right. which is something he did not deserve coming out of, in any sense, coming out of college, despite being drafted 20 picks earlier, but has actually kind of created an nerd. Right. So just looking at the structure of the playoffs, we'd have, we'd have the Patriots and the Ravens getting the bye, um, and then it would be Chiefs versus um, Titans, and then Bills versus Texans. Um I would actually be interested in seeing that Bills versus Texans game. Um, I don't really, even though the Titans have recently beaten the Chiefs, I don't really see that see them see them winning that game. Um, but Bills versus uh, Texans could actually be interesting, especially since it's going to be in um, Houston instead of Buffalo. Even though Buffalo's arguably um, the better all around team, but again, it's like the Russell Wilson Jimmy Garoppolo. I just don't really see Sean Watson losing a playoff game, even with Bill O'Brien as his coach. Um, to to Josh Allen um, and again this is if it was in Buffalo as it probably should be and this is again a fault of um, just the division winner getting an automatic home playoff game which is kind of amped up more in the, in the NFC because of how bad Dallas and Philly have looked but is also applicable in, in the AFC where Buffalo is probably another better record than than whoever they play and isn't going to get a home game um, assuming Patriots don't just fall off a cliff and Buffalo wins the division which is certainly possible um but yeah, um, I think that you know it. I still, I still see it being. I'm not going to pick against the Patriots because um, I it is going. I think they are going to get a, a divisional round game with the Chiefs um, at home, um, and if the Chiefs were at full health, that might be a different situation. But 
I'm not sure if I see them right now going into Foxborough and winning that game. I think that they very easily could, but I just I'm not sure if that's something that's going to happen. Someone's got to beat those Patriots. I don't see why it wouldn't be them, but you know, that seems it seems like that's kind of short-sighted to look ahead to that game right now because I don't really know that the Chiefs if they're going to be capable of beating the Patriots, I don't even, uh, if they're not going to be capable of beating the Patriots, I don't know that the Chiefs are going to be able to get past a team like the Titans. If we're talking about a team that's eligible to be upset, why not? Why can't the Titans beat them with all the talent they have and all of the ability to win games they shouldn't win that they have? Well, the Patriots, the Patriots don't have, you know, playoff level talent, really. It's just, I think right. it's still, and I think we might finally be seeing it with the Spurs this year. Um, and you're right, eventually it does happen, have to happen to the Patriots. Um, but it's one of those things where you just don't want to wait and see it before it happens. Um, and even though I think that there's a good chance that it does happen this year, um, I think a lot of people thought it would happen last year too, and it didn't. So, um, right. The difference being, obviously, this year Brady is literally no receivers. Um, Gronk's gone, which is huge. Um, Sanu's hurt. Um, he doesn't really have a relationship with any of his receivers, which makes those kind of patented uh, drives that he had against – uh, like the Chiefs last year in the playoffs, much harder when he doesn't know any of these rookie receivers, and it doesn't seem like any of them can open very well. And when if you double team Edelman, it's a problem. And you know he he doesn't seem actively happy. You know he tried to keep Antonio Brown around. So there's there's certainly cracks starting to show, but until it happens, like I said, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna predict it. I do think that if they make it to Baltimore, I don't think they're winning that game. Um, I don't see Lamar Jackson, and that team is just so good. And then the other that thing is with so the Patriots, good. they don't have a kicker, which they've always had. And Baltimore has the best kicker in football, which is, just seems unfair considering they don't use kickers hardly at all um, in Baltimore. But we saw against the Niners, you're like, oh, yeah, they have Justin Tucker, too. They can come out and kick a 50-yard field goal in the snow if he needs to. So um, I would love to see a Ravens-Seahawks Super Bowl. That would be awesome. Uh, that would absolutely be ideal. And plus, it's just the idea of your two MVP contenders being players meeting in the Super Bowl as the heads of their teams. And the main reason their teams are successful is that's kind of the goal. Of, <laughs> that should be the goal of pretty much every playoff. Um, yeah. I would very much like to see that. Uh, and of course, because I'm being hopeful now, that means we are going to get some sort of uh, Rams-Patriots Super Bowl where the Rams uh, go 9-7, and seven, barely sneak in. Or we're going to get some sort of uh, miracle Aaron Rodgers run for the Packers that ends just before it could possibly be interesting. That seems not yeah. unlikely. See, I, the Packers are a team, just real fast before we end the NFL talk, the Packers are a team that seems like they should be a lot better than they are. Um, Aaron Rodgers is kind of quietly not being not playing like Aaron Rodgers. I think it's very clear that Tom uh, Brady right. is, is no longer Tom Brady, but Aaron Rodgers is still good enough that I think we still give him a lot more weight than he's really played with in the last two years. Um, well, we called him an MVP candidate when that team was uh, seven and one, just because the team was seven and one. But he yeah. was playing not well. Yeah. Uh, uh, which is a nice reminder of how MVPs often decided. Uh, it was only two years ago or three years ago that Tom Brady won MVP without really playing notably well at all just because he was Tom Brady and there was no other real choice besides Todd Gurley, who was a running back. Yeah. Well, real fast before we end, who's going who's gonna to win our fantasy league? Oh, uh, that's going to be me. Uh, I'm going to crush you by about, what, 15 points? 
Uh, I have Derrick Henry, who suddenly is the most important player on like the fourth best team in football. I have uh, DeAndre Hopkins in games he actually has to win. And I don't know if you know this about Houston, Texas, but when they need to win games, they go to DeAndre Hopkins. I have Patrick Mahomes, who is, I still think, the best or second best uh, fantasy player out there. And the other being also a quarterback, obviously, which is something that I think is kind of going under the radar going into fantasy drafts this year is that Mahomes is going to be this good, but he's a guy who puts up 25 every week. I, 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 do, I do have to say that people say don't draft quarterbacks early in fantasy. I think that's kind of changed with Mahomes and Jackson just because of how much better they are than the rest right. of everybody. I think the, the prevailing argument was that, you know, most quarterbacks, good quarterbacks, are going to have around 20 to 22 points a game. Um, but when you can get a quarterback that's all of a sudden going for 30 or 25 every game, that makes a huge difference. Then, you know, it's definitely worth a third-round pick to draft a Lamar Jackson or a Patrick Mahomes, in my opinion. Um, right. Same thing with uh, tight ends, with the <coughs> one good tight end and yeah. the three pretty good tight ends. I, th- I think the problem is, is that with tight end is that, you know, it's dependent on quarterbacks often. and. Um, well, yeah, until he went down, the third best tight end in the league this year was Will Disley, just yeah. because he was, like you said, the random white guy Russell Wilson chose. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, my my random dart throw dartboard throw of the week is is thinking that Alexander Madison is going to pretty much get all of Dalvin Cook's touches this week, which actually I don't think is really a, a dart throw. I think that's actually very likely because they're playing the Lions and that shoulder injury did not look particularly good last week against the Seahawks for Cook. And I don't know why they'd play him, but. Um, yeah, my running back situation is absolutely dire, um, but we'll see, we'll see. Maybe maybe he can get a get a nice Julio game out of nowhere, even though his shoulders also hurt. Um, but yeah, that'll that'll wrap up the NFL talk. We'll be back in a second with some NBA. Welcome back to West Coast Bias. We're back with some some NBA chatter. Um, I want to start with talking about the Western Conference, just kind of going through the standings. Um, the playoff standings are really all the way down and giving kind of a, a out of out of kind of a one out of ten confidence rating for for these teams. Um, just starting starting with the Lakers, who are currently nineteen and three, um, looking really good. They've had a very soft schedule, but they certainly looked really good. Uh, LeBron and Davis have both been awesome. Um, what say you about the the Lakers early on? Oh, the really upsetting thing about the Lakers is, well, I've had this conversation a lot lately. We all knew that Anthony Davis and LeBron was going to work. That was anybody who said otherwise was dumb. That's an obvious, incredible, perfect fit. The question we had was if literally any other one player besides Danny Green on this roster was capable. And unfortunately, all of their bad players, whose statistics told us would continue to be bad, have actually looked fantastic in the roles they were given. A masterfully managed collection of misfit parts. Dwight Howard has been perfect as an off-the-bench defense-only player who finishes dunks at the dunker spot and catches uh, basically catches lobs off the short roll from Anthony Davis and does no other offense, which is an incredibly innovative use of a guy who has only that one skill uh, and is still incredibly strong on defense. That's really been their biggest strength, is that they have three great players, there being Danny Green and Dwight Howard being effective, and they're getting good contributions out of, weirdly enough, Alex Caruso, weirdly enough, Avery Bradley, uh, notably getting very poor contributions out of Kyle Kuzma, but it truly does not matter. Rondo's been good, too. <laughs> right, Rondo's been good. And honestly, before, before the Blazers play them tonight, I've only watched like half of one Blazer game, or Laker game, so I can't really say a whole... I've seen you know stretches of them, but I've really only seen... 
one whole Blaze Laker game. So, um, I think they're probably a little more scary than I'm even giving them credit for at this point. Especially considering I've watched uh, three or four Clipper games. So, I would say uh, the great thing about this team, uh, having seen them play in person and having seen them come back from down 15 to win a game against the Kings in person, their biggest strength by far is that they can keep games stable with their great defense because they are fundamentally a defensive team top to bottom and then let LeBron take over when he needs to. It's a one-player offense. It's not a two-player offense. Anthony Davis is not taking over games at all. He's had two great games on offense, and other than that, has simply done his job and done it well. Which I'd like to point out, everyone should have seen that happening. Everyone who said, oh, it's going to be Anthony Davis' team. No, Anthony Davis is like, and this isn't really even an insult, he's he's like a beta type of player. He's not going to be a guy, even in that Blazer game, Blazer series that they dominated and he was awesome in. Drew Holiday was the number one guy for that series. And it was kind of silly to think, you know, despite how good he is and how young he is, that he was ever going to be the number one guy on a team with LeBron James on it. Right. He's just, he's not a player who takes the ball and takes over the game. And we saw that when he was paired with Boogie. Is Boogie's that kind of player and he's not, even though he's a better player than Boogie. And so the way those games worked out essentially was that he would succeed because Cousins was taking over or he would succeed because Drew was taking over. And that's how he gets to 50. Yeah. And it's LeBron's so much better than those guys for that because LeBron's that type of player and he's the literal best in the league of that type of player they are fantastically constructed basically just to live and die by lebron and if there's one guy to live and die by that's the guy right um, uh, go on so that brings us to our second team who or second ranked team currently which is the nuggets um who are kind of a i think a bad 14-5 right now i think is that safe to say um yes i think Jokic uh, has been kind of really alarmingly out of shape, um, kind of Embiid-like almost, um, in that he legitimately looks tired. He looks cranky all the time. Um, uh, I just I, I don't really know what to think about the Nuggets. They're so talented. They were, def- they were my, both of our pick, I think our, both of our number one seed, and they're still certainly possible that they could get that. Um, but Gary Harris has actually been really good this year, which I think is one of the reasons why they've, they've looked – like a, a better team despite Jokic taking a step back. Um, and then obviously just the rest of their talent makes it hard for them to lose games even if they're struggling. Right. Uh, and outside of Jokic, actually including Jokic now, their defense has been spectacular. He's yeah. done his job just well enough and it doesn't matter. Uh, I really think uh, you mentioned Gary Harris. Gary Harris was a guy who really didn't take a step forward. We expected last year when everybody else was playing up to their top potential. And he's really rounding back into form while everybody else is kind of fading. And it's, it's worked out enough to get them winning games. But they've also they've lost some dumb ones. Uh, famously, last week against the Kings in overtime, they had a, a play where Jamal Murray basically is setting up a hammer lob to uh, Mason Plumley and doesn't get a shot or pass off. Yeah. And it looks truly horrendous. <laughs> because even if he got that hammer lob off, the next thing that's going to happen is going to pass somebody else to shoot for three because they're down three. So they're running a play to set up a decoy inside to set up a three, and it takes them 14 seconds to do it, and they don't even get the first part of the play done. It's embarrassing for them. That's the sort of way they're losing games. They're also, they've had a lot of games where they've been down 15 in the third quarter and come back to win games they shouldn't have. But, you know, they're 14-5. and five. They look bad in their big spots. They looked bad against the Lakers. Uh, the Lakers, by far their most impressive one in the season, I think, was the one where they made the Nuggets look bad earlier this week. Uh, still two in the West, though. 
Yeah, and then the, the what I wanted to t- really what I want to talk about with the West is that as 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 we are and we'll talk about the Blazers and the Kings when we get down to them, but um, these top three, there's a real chance that this eighth seed, which is could potentially be either the Blazers or the Kings, would not have to play the Clippers um, and may not have to play the Lakers. Um, right, and and the, the Nuggets and Mavericks are both despite their talent, much more beatable the Rockets do, I think. Right, and and so there's a there's a real chance that any of those five teams could be the number one seed. I don't think it's going to be the Clippers just because they don't care. Um, right. I, they, they, the Clippers they should. They, I think the, the yeah, and I think the Clippers should want to, you know, finish ahead of the Nuggets, but they don't need to get the number one seed because if they play in L.A., it's going to be all Lakers fans anyway. So it really doesn't matter if they get the number one seed over, if it's if it's over uh, the Lakers. Um I don't think they're probably super worried about uh, the the Nuggets on the road anyways. Um, but as a Blazer fan or a Kings fan, right, the, the team you don't want to face in the first round, no matter what, is the Clippers. Um, and at this point, I don't think it seems like the Clippers, who are a three seed at 16-6, only three games out. Um, uh, by the way, in this NBA schedule, it says the Clippers are three games behind the Lakers and, and the Nuggets are three and a half, but it has the Nuggets ranked above the Clippers in the standings. Is that right? Yeah, I'm seeing that right now. It's because they go they actually rank it by losses. They don't rank it. Well, they don't rank it by losses because the Blazers are above the Thunder in the same situation where they have one more win and one more loss. I don't understand. I think the games behind column is just wrong. The Clippers appear to play three more games than the Nuggets, so I think that's probably confusing them too. Anyways, I think the the point the point that I'm making is that if I'm a Blazers fan and and we get Nurkic and Collins back and Melo continues to play at a reasonable level and they sneak into the eighth seed and they play the Nuggets, that's pretty much the same team that the Blazers beat last year with less talent. All of a sudden, I'm like, well, you know what? I think this is a pretty damn winnable series and when the Clippers are hanging out at the two or the three seed um, you know that's all of a sudden something that's totally different because no one's beating you, you have to think no no one's beating certainly not the Blazers or the Kings aren't beating the Clippers uh, in a first round playoff series um, but the Nuggets right. are I mean, extremely beatable the Rockets are extremely beat- beatable um, and if you can get can one I of those teams further here and say that we both still think the Clippers are the championship favorite yes yeah, yes. absolutely. Okay. And I and if I had to pick between them and the Lakers, I still pick. I still would rather play the Lakers by a hundred thousand um, percent. Right. The Lakers, I think, have moved up to second or third. But again, my, my, my opinion may change on that after watching tonight's game. But um, if you're still, if you're put, giving me the option of playing uh, that Clippers team with Kawhi and Paul George on it, um, and then all the rest of the talent they have uh, versus the Lakers, I'm still going to choose the Lakers. But I just or, or the Clippers. I just think it's a really interesting situation that in past years, the Blazers being at nine thirteen, what I think would have put them a lot further outside of the playoffs, but the parody has made the whole conference look worse, which I think is a really big error that analysts are making is that they're saying, Oh, the conference is that is actually worse. Um, right. Just because well, yeah. it's just because it's not top heavy. I think that's just means that um, it's better. And I think that kind of the fact that the jazz are 12 and 10, the Blazers are nine 13. Um, is, is kind of a, a good and the you know th- the worst team is is the Warriors and you know even the the Spurs have still have eight wins. It's kind of overshadowing the fact that the Timberwolves have have played better, the Thunder have played better, the Mavericks have obviously been been really really good. Um, and the point is is that there's just so many good teams. The best, only the very best teams are going to have really good records. Right. 
And I think we're really seeing that with uh, the fact that the Rockets, the five seed, are still seven games over 500. Yeah. And uh, at this point in the season, that's impressive. But nobody's really talking about the Rockets as spectacular. Uh, in fact, a lot of people are still talking about the Rockets as ugly and terrible to watch, which is an accurate summary. Uh, lifelong Russell Westbrook fan, truly hate watching him in this offense. Almost as much as I hate watching James Harden be even better in this offense, but they are 14-7. and seven, And I have already assumed that they will beat the Kings on Monday. Yeah, their team, if you could give me them in the playoff series, 10 times out of 10, though. I want Russell Wilson to sh- or Russell Wilson, Russell Westbrook to uh, shoot the Rockets out of a playoff series, and it's going to happen. Um, there's been some. There's been a series of really interesting podcasts on what makes the Rockets so unlikable, because um, they really are just the least likable team ever right now. It's it's partially just because Harden's such an unlikable superstar compared to people like LeBron. Well, or well the really weird thing is they're not hateable. They're not a heel. They're just they're awful. They're unbelievably uninteresting to watch and root for. Well, and then, but then they're, they're, they're doing these things like bitching at, about calls and protesting like they did last year in the playoffs, and now they're doing with this Harden thing, which was right. egregious, but still they blew a 22-point lead. Um, I think it, part of it is because they're a team that thinks they're branded as smart, but in reality they're branded as nerds. Yeah, this is true. Which is a very different thing. Yeah. Um, they're waving right. a rule book in the face of a game they lost in double overtime to the Spurs. Right. Go Lonnie Walker. Um, anything else to say about the Clippers? I don't think we really need to say much about the Clippers. They're really good. I think that they're – unless Milwaukee really adds somebody. By the way, Milwaukee, stealth Kevin Love destination. I think we can talk about it a little bit if we have a little bit after this about some potential – I like that a lot. Some potential uh, trade destinations. But um, let's go on to the Mavs for now. Obviously, the Mavs are kind of the Lucas show. They're 15-6. They've been really good. Um, they kind of know Most what they so- are. I think we talked about the, the the Mavs on our last podcast enough, so we don't really need to go over them too much. Luca's obviously been spectacular. Um, right. Uh, I have third my MVP hunt right now, which is, I think, higher than I had him last time. But, you know. Yeah. Um, Rockets, uh, even though Eric Gordon's been out, they're still playing well. They're, they, they are horrible to watch, um, but... I don't know. I think I think when they have everyone going and they're all hitting threes, even even though Harden has the ball a lot, I think it's a little overrated at how horrible they are to watch. It can be kind of fun when they're really in full flow and Harden's really passing to even if he's the one with the ball in his hand all the time. It's kind of fun just to watch him take the ball in and then kick out to PJ Tucker and Eric Gordon and they're just bombing threes. It's not something I want to watch every day, but it can be it can be well, kind of interesting. It's the same kind of thing back when the Thunder were built this way, where it's. A beautiful thing to watch when it works when you talk about having right. one role man, three spacers, and one superstar guard who operates the whole thing. Uh, I think the prettiest version of it by far was the 2016 Cavs, uh, especially in that final series. It's just it's a quick it's a quick fire offense where it's all just one motion and it all just seems to work like an orchestra. But the problem with the Rockets is somehow it's ugly all the time. Yeah, uh, it's very rare that it looks like that. It's much more often it comes down to it's a 12 second possession where James the ball never leaves James Harden's hands, and the moment Eric Gordon gets it, he seems like he doesn't know what to do with it. Uh, which uh, we'll get to the Kings later, but a similar comparison to them with the way that offense runs under De'Aaron Fox versus the way it runs under uh, basically anybody they have, but specifically Corey Joseph, where it goes from something that's orchestral to something that looks like a, a jazz band that doesn't know that they're playing jazz. Uh, yeah. 
No, it's, it is interesting. And, and that brings us to the, the Jazz, who um, yet again were touted as, you know, the sleeper team and yet again are disappointing. Um, What's your role? So I think there's a few things that are not being talked about so much with the Jazz. I think people are focusing rightly on how Mike Conley's been just downright really horrible offensively. Um, just really can't seem to shoot. Um, maybe hit a wall. Um, but I think people aren't talking about enough about how bad their bench is. Um, they like, they play a lot of, we see a lot of Jeff Green and a, a lot of Dante Exum and, um, not having the, the, and also Joe Ingles has been really, really bad as we briefly spoke about. Um, but not having Derek Favors and Jay Crowder, you know, on that bench is, is kind of a big deal. And that's, you know, that's, I think it's, it's almost similar to how the Blazers miss Aminu and, and Harthless is that at the time you don't really think that you're, you like kind of want those guys off your team so you can let people like Mitchell and, um, you know, your, your other players and get Bogdanovich and have other players play well. But then once they're not there, you know, you kind of realize, oh, wait, these guys are actually really good. Um, and, uh, I think that's kind of what's happening with, with, with the Jazz, aside from the Conley and, and Ingles, and then also, as we mentioned, Ingles um, just not playing well, and Mitchell not playing as well as we all thought he would coming off the World Championships. Right, which is, by the way, very interesting that all the players who excelled in that World Championship have really not done anything notable this season, and all four of the Celtics players that were really talked about as kind of the reason for the loss, just because there were so many of them, have all been a part of a truly fantastic, very fun-to-watch Celtics team. Uh, specifically, uh, Donovan Mitchell and De'Aaron Fox were the supposed stars of that training camp. Uh, De'Aaron Fox, of course, has been hurt, but was playing basically at the same level he was last year before then. And Donovan Mitchell was playing at a higher level at the beginning of the season, but seemed to have regressed back to pretty much exactly where he was last year. Uh, the other one that's really stood out for me from that trick from that uh, Team USA camp, uh, who we're going to get to later, is Brooke Lopez, who really struggled during his time with Team USA as somebody who was a little bit more important than he needed to be, and now I think has been one of the bigger disappointments on the Bucks. Uh, he really hasn't been the player he was last year, and obviously that's a three-loss team, so there's not much to complain about. But when we talk about Kevin Love, basically the reason Kevin Love's an improvement is that Kevin Love would do everything he's doing better. Yeah. Um, moving on to the Timberwolves and the Suns, who I think we can kind of take as a package deal. Both started off hot. They're now the 7-8 and eight seed. Um, I don't buy the, the Timberwolves at all. Um, outside like of outside of uh, a somewhat rejuvenated Wiggins and Towns playing obviously at a really high level, um, it's hard for me to see them hanging around in the playoffs. I just they don't have a whole lot of anything else besides Covington on that roster. Um, Culver's going to be fine, but he's never going to really be a major contributor. I don't think. Um, then you have Jeff Teague and Jake Lehman and. Um, just I don't I don't see it for them and then the Suns have been really fun and they have more talent and theoretically they could stay around I think they're going to be good eventually and we talked about them last podcast too with how good Rubio has been for them um, right uh, Rubio and Baines have really been the key there and Baines has been hurt for most of their losses I still think that's a team that finishes 500 I think them and the Kings are about the same level where their ceiling is eight and their floor is ten I really can't see much higher or lower than that uh, I really think of the teams that have the chance to really explode past this group, the Suns and the Kings are probably the most notable just because they have the most <laughs> talent coming back in the near future, whereas the Blazers, the talent they're waiting on is not going to be back until February. Uh, but even then, that's asking a lot. You're basically asking players in Bagley and Aiton to take a leap that they were supposed to take in the preseason 
midseason and asking players and De'Aaron Fox and uh, uh, obviously Aaron Baines to take a team back to the level they were expected to be when they really succeeded in a completely different way than they expected to. Yeah, well, let's let's use this to transition on to the Kings um, and the Blazers. I'm not really super interested in um, the Thunder, the Spurs right now. And and again, if if you look at it just purely at okay, who are the teams ahead of these two teams that can be replaced? Obviously, the Warriors, who I think people were assuming were at least were going to be an eight seed, um, are now no longer an eight seed. Um, the Spurs, they are a 15 seed and will not go higher than that. The Spurs are, you know, still technically around, but I don't see that happening. The Thunder is still around, but they're not a playoff team. They should have no interest in being a playoff team. And so, ostensibly, it's really between the Blazers, Kings, uh, Timberwolves, and Suns. And as a Blazer fan, certainly, I'm not really concerned about the Blazers not making the playoffs. It's certainly a possibility, but right. it's hard for me to envision a situation where we get Zach Collins back in two months. Um, they've already been so much better with Carmelo Anthony. Um, I, it's just really tough for me to see a situation where at the end of the year with Damian Lillard, they're not ahead of the Phoenix Suns or the Minnesota Timberwolves. Right, they're simply a more talented team. Uh, I think you're spot on. I have the Blazers and Kings at 7 and 8 right now. Uh, actually, I might even go as far as to put the Blazers up at 6 or 5, passing the Jazz, Rockets, or Mavericks. Uh, but that's just because the Blazers are that talented and that good, and Carmelo Anthony has been weirdly fantastic for them, which we'll get into. But I want to quickly revisit before we completely write them off, the Thunder and the Spurs. I think the Spurs are in this. I just think they're the worst team in it because they don't have the talent. Their two best players play tre- truly horribly together. The net rating together is terrible. Uh, Duante Murray doesn't really work with them either. They have some real problems to fix, and I don't really think there's any solutions. They really got killed letting Davis Burton as go to be on a weirdly yeah. fun Wizards team. Uh, so I don't really think the Spurs are contenders, but they are a team with talent trying to win. So we can't discount them from the yeah, conversation. No, I, I'm with you. However, I think the Spurs get a lot of unwarranted hate just because people are confused about how they've somewhat continued to play well despite doing everything kind of the opposite of how people think they should be doing it. Um, right. There's a little bit of Popovich fatigue, I think. Um, yeah, uh, certainly. Uh, everybody likes Popovich, but nobody wants to watch his teams, I think, is the problem we have right now. And I can attest to that. Yeah. Uh, but let's start with the Kings before we get to the Blazers. Um, what's their path to the, to the playoffs, other than Bagley and Fox coming back? Because I've, I've read some Kings articles from, you know, Kings bloggers and some other people who think that actually Bagley and Fox are a little maybe overrated. Or they're, not, they're not overrated as players, but their effect is maybe a little overrated. Um, what's uh, your opinion anybody saying that? About, that about Fox is hilariously wrong. Badly, there's a conversation to be had. Uh, De'Aaron Fox is by far the best player on this team and the heart of this team and the only reason that this team is operational. Uh, and we've seen how catastrophically bad they look without him. Uh, the only difference is that Corey Joseph is a much better defender than him. Fox, I think, is really overrated as a defender because he's so good at getting steals. Yeah. Uh, and he's uh, good in isolation against point guards, but the most teams Rondo. don't good in isolation for point guards. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, also, Buddy Heald's a worse defender than uh, people really think just because he's in such ridiculous shape. He's like a 230-pound guard. He's not actually a good defender. He's really bad off-ball in particular, and he's yeah. basically lead average on ball. Uh, but De'Aaron Fox is the best player on this team. The only reason they're successful without him is because Bagley and Bogdanovich work well together. Oh, sorry, Bogdanovich and Heald work well together when Bogdanovich is an on-ball player, and Fox is a much better on-ball player than Bogdanovich. Bagley, however, 
is interesting because you really need to build around him. He's a unique player in that he is defensively a four and offensively a five. Uh, he really, truly cannot defend centers at a high level, at least high-level centers. Uh, but he is completely fine against wings. He's actually, I think, underrated as a wing defender. He's, his numbers really aren't that bad. He can keep up with basically anybody below a LeBron James level. He can keep up with a Paul George type even. Uh, didn't really have problems against those types of players last year. The problem is that he doesn't really space the floor effectively, even though he's an underrated shooter, uh, especially compared to an Emmanuel Bielitsa. And that the best really researched player on the Kings that nobody really expected is Richon Holmes. And you can't play him next to Richon Holmes at all because they have the same strengths, even though Bagley is much more versatile offensively <laughs> and Holmes is a much better defender. So that's really going to be the question is, Bagley's a player who could be an all-star this year if he goes out and plays at uh, the level people expected him to. He's, he averaged 20 and 12 off the bench last year over 36 minutes. I think this year his 36 is going to be around 24 and 13, which would be an all-star level contribution many years in the East, not so much in the West. The only problem is that I don't know if him putting up those numbers and being a decent wing defender and asking Dwayne Dedman to go out there and space the floor and hope it works is going to be nearly as effective as having Nemanja Bielitsa simply go out there and shoot uh, from that man as a 30-foot range. Just let him stand at 30 feet from the basket and shoot when he needs to and let Richon Holmes run pick and roll with and Fox. I think that's actually more effective. So he might be consigned to a bench roll, and I don't know how much he really raises the team's ceiling this year so much as in the, in the distant future. Uh, but De'Aaron Fox is by far by far the thing they need. Every game they've lost so far, they would have won with De'Aaron Fox there, except for the Nets game where they looked catastrophically bad. Uh, they haven't really lost a game not to the Nets by more than six points, I believe, since Fox went down. But that's more a testament to how well Bogdanovich has been playing with healthy, how well Rashawn Holmes has been playing, and how well Buddy Heald's been playing when he's playing hot. Uh, I still think this is a good team. I still think this is a 45-ish win team. Uh, it's going to be harder for them to get there now that they're 8-12 and 12, uh, and probably going to be coming out of this uh, three-game stretch against the three teams in Texas at 9-14. and 14. So, uh, But the good news is their schedule's really soft the next two weeks. They should theoretically get Fox back in about three weeks, and we'll get Bagley back on Sunday. So, you know, there's potential here that the Blazers don't have because the Blazers, now that they've had Carmelo Anthony be their big unexpected improvement, they don't get any other unexpected improvements until they get one of their two centers back in February or March. Yeah, uh, I agree. I think the Kings on paper should be, I think they should, they're better than the, certainly better than the Wolves, and they're going to be better than the Suns as well. Um, I see no reason why they, they shouldn't get a playoff spot. Um, again, the, the, like, like we were talking about earlier, is, is the differences, again, with the West, is that there's so many good teams is that it's much easier to hang around at the bottom of the list because the top teams don't separate themselves, and certainly the 7-8 the seeds aren't separating themselves um, because there's three other good, there's three playoff teams, even at this stage, you know, we're now a fourth of the way through the season that we didn't think would be in the playoffs at this point in the Mavericks, Wolves, and Suns. So even though two of those teams I don't expect to be in there and the Mavs you'd think would drop off, they've also played a little bit of a, I think a pretty home-heavy schedule. Um, they're, you know, it's it shouldn't be super challenging for a healthy Kings team to, to pass one of those teams. Uh, similarly with the Blazers, and I, I think that the, the crucial aspect of this Carmelo Anthony thing, is besides the fact that he's playing much better than anyone could have think, I think there's two aspects to it. First of all, there's been a number of articles now pointing this out and that they're just kind of letting him be himself. They're not trying to make him spot up in the corner like the, in, like the, the um, Rockets tried to make him do, and they're not trying to make him play with 
Paul George and Russell Westbrook like the Thunder made him do. So um, they're just letting him do what he, he does. Um, I'll say it again. You can never, ever underestimate the impact Damian Lillard has on anybody. Uh, go read the uh, Mark Spears article if you haven't. Um, amazing article. He is, you know, truly... The, I think uh, going back to Russell Wilson from the last podcast, right. I think is a good leadership example of guys who immediately day one completely changed the culture of their team. Yeah, the difference is Russell Wilson, as we can hear from the mic'd up, is just a complete nerd. Um, and the the funny, right. to digress a, a slight bit, that when he was just kind of hopping up and down outside of the Seahawks' uh, um, cel- receiver celebration dances and just really not being included at all and, you know, just all that stuff was just... Is hilarious. Um, Damian Lillard's like him in terms of being an awesome leader, but the difference is he's actually close with everyone. And, you know, he had Carl Anthony and CJ McCollum and a huge Thanksgiving dinner. And he's just incredibly under, like, just everyone knows it, but you can't really put it into into words until you see into really something everyone can see until you see someone like Carl Anthony having such a great time um, and really buying into everything and respecting him and, and doing all that stuff. Um, as well, which has just been so fun to see. Um, and obviously, you know, he's averaging 18 points a game on 40% shooting from three. He's taking the ball to the hoop all the time. Um, he's the, sh- the big shots in the games are still not going to him. It's not like he's trying to take over shots. Um, he's the, his biggest, any Blazer fan will tell you, his biggest contribution is just not being Anthony Tolliver or Mario Hazonia. Um, and I think, I think, I think. Lastly, the biggest thing about him is that if you said, you know, in the summer, you could get an eighteen point per game score on essentially a, a, a minimum contract, um, and not have to play Mario, Hoz- not it wouldn't be Mario Hazonia or Anthony Tolliver, you would have, you know, taken it and been like, how is this possible? What can I do? And because it's Carmelo, people are thinking about it in a different context. But really, that's what it comes down to. The Blazers is that all of a sudden they have a a guy who, who can play bizarrely. It's incredible that he can play 30 minutes a game and that he's kept himself in shape um, with everything people said about him for you know most of his career. But he's in more shape, in better shape than I've ever seen him. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's fun to watch. Um, he's not going to win them anything necessarily, but he's certainly good enough to keep them around and keep them afloat while Collins and Nurkic recover. And then when Colin and Nurkic, Nurkic get back, whether that's, you know, they've not, probably neither of them will be fully healthy this whole year. But all of a sudden you get into next year or, or even the playoffs possibly this year, and that team's legitimately scary. Like, Rodney Hood's been, you know, not shooting enough shots for how good he's been overall, but he's been uh, top five in the league in field goal percentage for a guy who pretty much takes exclusively jump shots, um, which is amazing. Um, he... You know, he's been doing everything right. And when you can trot out an offense that has Lillard, McCollum, Rodney Hood, Carmel Anthony, and then uh, Nurkic or replace Mello with, with Collins and then and then bring uh, Carmel Anthony off the bench, whatever you got to do, all of a sudden you have a, a situation where Simons and Bazemore are your, your ninth and tenth men. And that's that's a Western Conference Finals team all of a sudden. And it might not be this year, but... It, next year it's going to be really really fun to watch if everyone stays healthy and it's um like i said i'm not and, scared of a nuggets team in the first round if nurkic or even if just collins can get back i'm not particularly scared of a 
a Nuggets first round playoff series, especially since there'll be no pressure on them. And something I really like about Carmelo, especially <coughs> the way they're using him, is that this is a team that's for so long had to stagger McCollum and Lillard to essentially always have one on the court because they're the only real offense. And this is a guy that it's similar to the way Evan Turner was, but at a much higher level, is a one-man offensive wrecking machine if he needs to be. He's a guy that if you need to just make entry passes to him and watch him cook for eight minutes a night, that's a huge opportunity to keep Lillard and McCollum together and keep your best offensive sets uh, more available when you need them that this team really hasn't had before. And they've had something like it, but not to this extent. And that's a big opportunity for them. And I think he's on the bench. That still could be a huge opportunity. And like you said, just the idea of him, Rodney Hood, Lillard, McCollum, and Nurkic all on the floor together, or Collins if need be, uh, as an offensive set is pretty exciting in the playoffs. Yeah, and and I think the other thing with this is is that uh, something the Blazers fans, and specifically me, have been clamoring for for a long time is starting Kent Bazemore and, and, and bringing Rodney Hood off the bench um, because there's no reason to have Bazemore be the guy on the bench that then needs to handle the ball at all. Simons has been really regressing, just not, not worried about him, but he has, he's really been pretty bad the last six or seven games in terms of shooting. Um, and it's, it's just one of those things that if they can figure out their rotations and they have a really home-heavy, light schedule December, there's a real possibility that they, they're going to be in the playoffs by New Year's. So, um, again, I've, I haven't, I've, I've kept myself at a pretty balanced level all year with them. Um, and I think I'm going to continue to do that, but certainly having Carmelo Anthony play this well and look so happy doing it. It's always fun to watch all the young guys who grew up watching him, even Damian Lillard, you know, when Damian Lillard was an early teen when Carmelo Anthony was at his best. So that's kind of fun. Um, right. but yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of cool, especially because <laughs> Lillard was talking about Carmelo Anthony like this three years ago and didn't get yeah. the opportunity to play with him. And then again, last year, I didn't get the opportunity to play with him. So it's exciting to see that work out for him and for a guy who's, like you said, leadership style is more like a brother than a dad compared to Russell Wilson. It's pretty cool to see him play next to his basketball dash. Yeah. Um, Real fast Uh, before we get into some, well, unless you have something else to talk about the West. Uh, Just real quickly, as somebody who didn't like Carmelo Anthony at all, most of his career, I think this is the first time I've ever actively rooted for him. And it's kind of appealing to see him overcome his demons even if his demons were just was Carmelo Anthony yeah exactly um that's all I have on the west so before we I want to briefly talk about some potential trade spots for some teams that need uh, trades but let's I want to talk about the the Celtics Heat Raptors and Sixers real fast um, right uh and just to review uh we're not going to talk about the rest of the East <coughs> because the Bucks are very good at what 13 games there's not much to say and the Pacers are not interesting and every team below the Pacers kind of sucks, including the Nets and Magic somehow. Although, again, shout out to Markel Fultz, who's had a career high the other night. Good for him. Um, yeah, uh, always rooting for Markel Fultz. Don't really care about any other member of the Orlando Magic. Yeah. Uh, so the Celtics uh, have literally turned themselves into the exact same team they were two years ago, except now they have Kemba Walker. Um, and, right. they, uh, and don't have Al Horford. Don't Horford's think of it as losing Kyrie for Kemba Walker. Think of it as replacing their terrible, terrible, terrible Terry Rozier who was wildly overrated at that time just because he wasn't yeah. Carmelo Anthony or Kevin Walker. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if they had a Horford, I, I think they're the favorite coming out of the East, although Horford's not been great this year, but I think that is more about the Sixers and their roster imbalance than Horford himself. Um, but, if they have Horford, they're my favorite outright. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, and they've... also Gordon Hayward is 
if he plays at the level he played at earlier in the year, that also helps a lot. Yeah, I think obviously Hayward being Hayward again, Utah Hayward again has been huge. Um, Brad Stevens being Brad Stevens, and you know, I think it's pretty clear what kind of team he needs to have to be a successful coach, and that's one without Kyrie Irving on it. Um, right, he needs people that get along and buy into him, and with Kyrie out there, <laughs> nobody got along and nobody bought into anybody. Right, so they're really good. They're fun to watch. Um, if I was betting, I still think their odds are probably really low below the Sixers and the Bucks. But in a playoff series, I kind of like their chances against either of those teams. Um, if they can, if I think they have that Memphis pick. I don't know if, whether it's Stephen Adams, as we discussed before, or if it's someone else. But if they can pick up someone and kind of not have to rely on Cantor and Robert Williams in the playoffs, I think that's a team that is a pretty good value for a potential um, finals berth. Right. Uh, I certainly have them over the Heat and the Raptors, though I do like both of them. Yeah, there's... Uh, And I don't know if you saw last night, but the uh, Celtics did look good against the Heat in a game that a lot of people... Or two nights ago, rather. In a game that a lot of people were worried about as kind of a testing point for both Yeah, and I think they're beating the Nuggets by, like, 15 right now. But, um, yeah, so so I want to talk about the Heat briefly, because they're kind of everyone's favorite team right now. Um, and they've been, they've been, they were, they were the team who everyone was hyping up a lot earlier in the year. Um, and maybe I think got a little bit of, uh, certainly for me, I had a little bit of backlash just because of everyone else was so into them, but they've been really, really good. Um, people forget how good of a coach Eric Spolstra is all the time. Um, they've gotten weird contributions from random people like Kendrick Nunn and, um, Justice Winslow has been a little better than he has been in the past. Um, I don't know. It's it's a fun team. I'm not sold on them in the playoffs. Um, there's a lot of Chris Paul rumors flying around, mainly because they're the only team who can really swing a trade for him. Um, not sure of how much better that makes them. Goran Dragic has actually been really good too. Um, but I would have been interested to see this Goran Dragic on the uh, Mavericks, as was almost agreed to over the summer. Yeah, this is true. I just want to see him play with Luca. period. But, yeah, I'd say the Heat are kind of a fake 15-6 team right now. I'm not really buying them. I think that the two teams above and below them are both bet much better. Um, right. They're a good team. There's not that yeah, good. They're that, not comfortable. They're fun, but I don't see Jimmy Butler. A Jimmy, like, a, like a number one Jimmy Butler team is, is going to be going to be a threat to any of the other four teams who are – all surprisingly good. I did think the Raptors were going to be better than people were saying as we get to the Raptors now, but I didn't think they were going to be uh, this before, good. Can we talk about one more thing about the Heat before we get to the Raptors? Sure. There is one truly great thing about the Heat that is wildly underdiscussed, and it's that Bam Adebayo, who was this supposed to have a big season, is actually having a big season. Yeah, and it never I happens. That that's way. becoming less and less underdiscussed. But he's yeah, he's been amazing, and in Kentucky, he's like he's like halfway between Draymond Green and. Uh, DeAndre Jordan in his prime. Yeah, so the Draymond comps are certainly flying around. And it's funny because if you watched him at Kentucky or in his first year, he literally just looked like a happier Dwight Howard who maybe could shoot a little better. Um, but I didn't realize he was such a smart player. He's really kind of an incredibly smart player who can do a lot of really cool stuff. So um, I really like uh, – they run a lot of short rolls with him, and I really like him on the short roll just because there's not that many players who could pass like that. And also, he's a fun guy just because he's so capable of switching on the perimeter and blocking shots, uh, which all credit to Draymond isn't really something Draymond does, even though he's a good interior and exterior defender. He's just a fun guy to watch play basketball, which is especially nice on a Heat team where most of those players are good but not fun. Yeah, exactly. Um, Raptors. Raptors are really fun. Nick Nurse, I think, 
probably Very coach fun. of the year right now. Um, not even because so Siakam's obviously taken yet another leap, and he hasn't been quite as good as he was at the start of the season, but he's still been second or third tier MVP level most of the year. But the really impressive thing about the Raptors is the Chris Boucher's, um, the uh, uh, who's who's the who's the random guy who um, no one had heard Couldn't of. Couldn't tell you his name. They're Thomas backup. something. Yeah, something like that. Um, Don't know if Thompson's first or last name, but we both know the guy. Yeah. Um, and then Fred Van Fleet, who's like nearing star status. And uh, we talked about la- last last podcast about how um, out of the Wichita State guys, um, we thought Ron Baker would be better. I don't know if that was actually true. We'll, I listened back to Matt that. Matt Thomas, that's the name. Yeah. Matt Thomas. Yeah. Um, and then something, Terrence Davis is the guy I was thinking of um, as well, this other guy. Um, but Fran Van Fleet is legitimately awesome. He has this weird change of pace move that he that he can do. Um that is just kind of shocking. Like he, he just always gets to the rim. He always can get the ball up to the rim and just really impressive stuff from from him. Um and they've been really fun. I do really appreciate that between him and Kyle Lowry, they have uh two kind of chubby guards that can outrun incredibly in shape taller and faster guards. Yeah. Uh they are just I don't understand where their athleticism comes from. It's not visible on them, but they're fantastic athletes. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's also exciting that Kyle Lowry has an heir apparent on his own team because there were no other Kyle Lowrys in the league up until the Fred Van Vliet resurgence. Right. Exactly. Maybe Marcus Smart kind of Kyle Lowry, but. <laughs> right, and so that so that brings us now to the Sixers, who are fifteen seven. Still been very disappointing. Um, we talked about them a lot. I don't think anything's changed for me, really, regards, regarding them. Um, uh, I think three of their five starters have been actively bad versus yeah. what we expected from them. Uh, four, really, because Josh Richardson hasn't been very impressive. Yeah, Josh Richardson's been really and disappointing. We, you know what? I would go as far as to say that all five of their starters are having disappointing seasons yeah. if I actually stopped and thought about it. Yeah, absolutely. Simmons, obviously, just not doing it. Uh, Embiid, similarly... Josh Richardson, I, I was, I've always liked Josh Richardson. He's the guy who I always think of as a better player than he probably actually is. Horford's been disappointing, which is probably the biggest surprise. And then Tobias Harris could be, like, the worst contract in the league in two years, potentially. Um, yeah, uh, I said this offseason I'd rather have Tobias Harris. I'd rather have uh, Harrison Barnes than Tobias Harris outright, let alone on that money. Yeah. And I am shocked that I was right about that because I did not think I was. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else to talk about with the East? Because I mean, the the Bucks are really good. They're nineteen three. They're really. I I just my problem with the Bucks. I don't really see a difference between them this year and, and last year. Um, and right. Uh, well, we all know they lost a great player. That's right. the difference. Right. And, uh, that's going to matter when the playoffs in the regular season. I do have one more thing to say, and it's: Have you watched the Sixers in the last month? I actually have not watched the Sixers. I don't. I like watching the Sixers maybe the least out of anybody because they just always they're a really good defensive team when it matters, but they just their offense is just painful to watch. They're also frustrating because they're a team that is incredibly high on both causing and forcing turnovers. So every game they play looks sloppy. Uh, the other thing about the Sixers, though, that's really gone unmentioned is I don't think Josh Richardson's the best Josh Richardson on that team. Uh, have you seen Matisse, Matisse Thibel at all? Yeah, I mean, I watched a lot of Matisse Thibel in college, and I've seen a few games of his. I think it, one thing about Matisse Thibel is that everyone said he really couldn't shoot, and I actually don't think that's true. I don't think he's a good shooter, but his his stroke is really not a bad stroke, and I think it's going to get better. Right, he made four threes against the Kings. Yeah. Um, uh, 
He's definitely not as good a shooter as Josh Richardson, but he's a bigger and better defender, and that's yeah, Josh Richardson first place. He yeah. would have looked really nice on the Celtics and also would have made Marcus Smart expend- relatively expendable um, if they needed to trade him. Um, but yeah, um, as far as the Bucks go, they're the, they're the team that I think needs to make a trade. And I mentioned Kevin Love uh, in passing, and Chris Paul is the other one that people have kind of thrown around kind of jokingly, but... Kind of seriously. Yeah, hard to make the money work on the Chris Paul members, the Kevin Love ones. Right. The difference between 43 and uh, 31 million. Uh, I really liked the Kevin Love idea quite a lot because so much of their strength last year was having a high quality passing big next to Giannis. And the amazing thing about Giannis is you could put literally any other type of big next to him and it doesn't matter because he could defend four positions at a truly elite level. Uh, I would really like to see Kevin Love there. That Just the moment I heard that, that sounded right. And it would be fun to see. I think I'm not entirely sure that it's a championship difference for them in the same way that, uh, oddly enough, uh, adding, uh, replacing, uh, adding Mark Gasol and getting rid of uh, the guy who's on the Grizzlies now, who's eminently forgettable, very good, uh, was a championship move for the Raptors. I don't know if it's going to be the same Brook Lopez versus Kevin Love for the Bucks, but it's definitely an improvement. Yeah, I mean, I think the. There's there's two things here. I think first of all, the, their issue is Eric Bledsoe in the playoffs, not so much Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, Eric Bledsoe, a fine player, but he's not a good enough point guard. Even when you have Giannis handling most of the the, the ball handling duties, um, and that's why the Chris Paul trade is really appealing. I think, um, but it's just it's just hard. It's hard to see that team beating. Any like even when they played the Blazers, I thought it just it just there's not enough outside of Giannis in a playoff series when someone can really shut him down because he's he really still can't shoot well enough at all right now. He just can't. Um, he's gotten a lot better, and it's great that he's trying instead of someone like Ben Simmons. And he's certainly you know thirty percent's not bad or twenty nine or whatever he's at, but he's still not someone who quite yet. I think he will be as soon as next year be someone who you really have to mark at the three-point line. But as of now, he's still not like that, and his teammates are not good enough. Um, I don't know. I just I worry about them against a team like the Sixers in the playoffs, and I worry about them against a team even like the Celtics in the playoffs. Right, which is also a problem with everybody in the East. There was also a problem last year. All these teams, I think, are as good as the top teams in the West, but it's kind of a meat grinder once you get into the semifinals. Uh, they're going to be – for. Two of these six teams, it's going to be a very, very, very easy first round. And then the semifinals, it'll immediately get hard. Whereas you can get kind of lucky and get a lower-tier team in the second round in the West. Yeah. Uh, just because there's a little more parity. Right. Uh, I do want to kind of talk about the Pacers because they are getting a massive, massive addition in the next month once he finishes running the Mask Singer and Victor Oladipo. Yes. Uh, they are adding an all-star to a team that's currently only a game and a half out of second in the East. Uh, they are adding an all-star, and they are going to take Malcolm Brogdon from a role where he's put up all-star level numbers and put him back in a complimentary role next to a great player that we've already seen him be unbelievably successful in. And although they haven't been as good as expected, probably just because of the struggling to adapt to play together, they still have Sabonis and Miles Turner in that same starting lineup. That's a pretty promising team that nobody's really talking about. 
Uh, I kind of said that they were boring earlier, but I don't know if they're going to be boring for much longer once they add a Victor Oladipo in the situation. Yeah, they're going to be really good. And we're talking about the Bucks, obviously, not that they need Brogdon, and it was ridiculous that they didn't spend the money looking at Giannis. Whether or not, whatever you think about Giannis doing, you know, leaving in 2021 or not, the fact is, even if you don't think he's leaving, you still need to be doing whatever you can to make him a championship contender right now, and they don't seem to be doing that. Um but even if they get four more years, that still only gives them a six-year window. Right. Um, and even you know, even if they think he's staying, you can't assume he's staying at all. And then I don't think he's going to the Knicks, but I'm, you know, it's certainly possible that he can end up in somewhere. Anyway, regardless of what you think about it, giving away Brogdon was really stupid. Um, and he's playing really well with the Pacers. And they're going to be a really tough out in the playoffs, just classic Pacers style with maybe a little more guard talent than they've had in the past. Um when Oladipo gets back, and um, they're obviously a really interesting case with uh, Sabonis and, and Turner. Sabonis seems to be their their number one right now, so we could see a Turner trade, whereas we thought it could go backwards. I don't think we're seeing the, the Jalen Brown trade anymore because of how good he's been, but I think there's some other potential Turner-Sabonis trades out there. I haven't really thought about it too much, but... Uh, certainly... A Sabonis trade is more likely of uh, that set than a, than a healed or a Jalen Brown trade. Yeah. But, again, that's a kind of a big question. Yeah. We'll see We'll see how the Pacers do, uh, especially if they're going to match up against a team like the Sixers that might be underseeded. Uh, I think that's a very possible, with the Heat falling out, a very possible 4-5 matchup where the Sixers are clearly the more talented team of the two, and that might be a t- difficult out. Right. Uh, the other team that really interests me in the East is not in this conversation at all and will never be, and they're interesting to me because they're a catastrophe. Nobody's talking about it as a catastrophe. The Hawks are terrible. I thought they would be fun but bad, but they're genuinely horrible. No, and they're not I, fun. Part of that is the not of John Collins, to be fair. Right, but it's not like... Obviously, John Collins is a great offensive weapon, but it's not like John Collins makes their defense better. He's actively a bad defender. And defense is their problem. Their problem is that Trey Young is going to be an all-star this year while being the literal worst defender in the entirety of basketball. Uh, probably the worst defender of the decade. Uh, he's a sieve. He has no interest in improving. He has no interest in getting stronger. Uh, and his play style offensively, his numbers are great, but he's a guy who will take the quick shot whenever he gets the opportunity. He gets all those assists because he takes a ton of risky passes. He gets all those highlights because he takes a ton of risky shots. He's not a guy I want on my team. He's obviously got huge potential, but... I don't think that he's anywhere near putting it to good use. Uh, he really reminds me of, of to different effects with different problems. He reminds me of Devin Booker two years ago. <coughs> I don't think that's a good thing. And John Collins is a complimentary player to Trey Young more than anything else. Yeah, I mean, people, they complain about getting... I, I do feel bad for Trey Young personally getting the Luka questions, but the Hawks deserve everything that they got. I think there was the hope that somehow DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish combined with Trey Young would somehow add up to something close to Luka. Um, it just, no. <laughs> like, it just hasn't. And it, even if Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter are the best versions of themselves and Trey Young's the best version of himself, it's still not going to add up. It's still completely unacceptable. Um, and they should be able to, they should be made fun of that for eternity. Um, yes. But, yeah, you're right. There's not even a fun team right now. Um, and right. they need a Trey Young's not going to be able to be the best player on a good team. 
even in, even yeah. in a sense where Devin, I think Devin Booker has a better chance of being the best player on the Suns, a good Suns team than Trey Young has a chance just because of Trey Young's just complete inability to defend anybody. Right, and they're both guys that can lead the league in points without me uh, necessarily believing that they're good players, which is yeah. impressive. Uh, I do want to give a little bit of credit to both the Hawks and the Kings because they at least have a rational decision for why they passed on Trey Young in the manner they did. And they at least believe in the core, that their players that they got are in their core. The Suns are the one that I'm really still, that's the one I have a problem with just because they hired Igor Kikoskov, everything pointed to uh, to drafting Luka, and two days into getting that pick we heard, there's no chance to Aiton. And now Aiton's not the best center on that team. Well, is that is there anything else NBA related that needs to be discussed? Um, uh, players that haven't sh- shaken loose yet that we think might. Uh, and by players, I mean player. Uh, Detroit Pistons are eight and fourteen. Have not gotten any better since Blake Griffin got back. Blake Griffin was a top five player in the league last year to the attention of absolutely no one. Uh, plays more like LeBron these days than Blake Griffin. What team could get better with him? Yeah, I mean. A lot of teams get better with him. Um, I just don't... As right. long as the Pistons hang around the, the playoffs and they're only two and a half games out right now, um, his price is just going to be too high. I don't want the Blazers. I've discussed it. I don't want to give the, the Blazers... Uh, half, they're not going to give up, and I don't think they will. I don't think they're going to give up Simons or Collins for him. And that even that, in terms of winning now, probably the Pistons w- would, would kind of overrate how good they are. And I don't even know if they'd make a trade like that. Um. So yeah, I I don't know who's the real potential who uh, contender who has the pieces to make a trade for him. You ready to hear something dumb that I'm about to say? Go for it. San Antonio Spurs should give up two first round picks and uh, Demar Rosen right now for, for Blake Griffin. Just put him with Lamar. That's Aldridge. what I want. I want specifically. I want him next to Aldridge. Don't get rid of Aldridge. I want him and Aldridge at four and five, and I want just a bunch of defensive guards next to him that they already have on the roster and just see what happens. Because <laughs> that is the only way I see the Spurs getting interesting in the next five years. And they still have one to two years of Greg Popovich left before Tim Duncan and or Becky Hammond. I really hope it's and that would rule. Take over. Uh, why not give it their only last best shot and get the only... They're the only team that really needs a core player. And he's the only core player that might be available. And what are they going to use those first-round picks for? They're going to be like the 11th pick anyway. I think here's my my favorite idea is the Nets just trading Kyrie Irving and like a couple firsts for Blake Griffin, <laughs> and then letting Spencer Dinwiddie. You know, if you watch the Nets, Spencer Dinwiddie like wants it. Like he, he takes way too many shots, and he thinks it's his team. When Kyrie Irving's not on the court, and they've been way better with him. Um, so I like just saying like screw like screw you to Durant and just trading Kyrie Irving and letting Karis Levert and. Spencer Dinwiddie, and then when you get back, you got Kevin Durant and Blake Griffin with a bunch of really good young players, and that's fun. Yeah, uh, that would be... And then Kyrie Irving plays in Detroit, and that's hilarious. I'm just sad that LeBron's too good for us to say LeBron for Blake Griffin straight up that. That was very fun last year. Yeah. Uh, Uh, Last Blake Griffin trade destination that I think would be really interesting is... Throw them on the Wizards and see if we can get that offense up to 130 points a game. Because fuck it, why not? Yeah, They're not going to get any better. Go Scotty Brooks. Having a little renaissance. Uh, Scotty Brooks, weirdly well, doing a great job of coaching that team. Uh, best quote of the season by far was from Davis Bertanez, who said, and I quote, 
We don't even need to play good out defense. We just need to play below average. Yeah. He's not wrong. Davis Berton's <laughs> a guy I wouldn't mind seeing on the Blazers. Um, uh, yeah, they're going to get uh, probably better trade value than we think for him. Yeah. Just because, you know, he's a big who can shoot at that level. Uh, he might be the only big available in the entire league who can shoot at that level this entire season. Uh, it's basically going to be between him and Kevin Love, and Kevin Love's price is going to be much higher. It's going to be much harder to trade for because of the salary. Well, I personally really want to see him go to the Celtics and start at center, even though he's a little undersized, just because that sounds fun. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's a few places that would make him interesting. I just, I don't know. It'd be, I don't know how many teams actually want him. And Oregon is just kind of destroying Utah right now. Yeah, I don't think Utah's going to make the playoffs. No. I, if if yeah, they needed to really beat Oregon. I mean, assuming Oklahoma wins. Which they might not. Baylor's a good team, but yeah, they need to do better than this. But yeah, I don't know any other NBA NBA things to go over. Um, I think that pretty much covers it. I'm excited to see the Blazers Lakers tonight. See who's gonna be def- see uh, who's gonna be defending LeBron and Anthony Davis. Um, seems like a recipe for disaster, but could be fun theoretically. Um, uh, it'll be a. It'll be a much better game than this uh, Kings and Spurs game where the Kings are 1 for 12 from 3 in the first quarter and the only mix from Trevor Ariza. Yeah, that's fun. That was like Buddy Heald against the Blazers the other night. Yeah, uh, Buddy Heald has exclusively alternated and it's happening basically at halftime every time between 80% three-point shooter and 0% three-point shooter. He's only averaging 39 on the season, which for him is like averaging 12. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, that'll take care of this one. We'll be back hopefully in the end of, end of December, early January, see where see what the status of the NBA is. Probably a lot of stuff will have changed. Um, people seem really bored by it really fast. I think I think people are kind of, you know, the attention span of the NBA goes down at this yeah. time. Um, I don't know. I like watching basketball. I don't see why people are so concerned about TV ratings. And Yeah, there's probably too many games, but that's a separate issue, I think. People need to just relax. I think people are really upset that the Lakers thing is working out so well, not just because people want the Lakers to be bad, but also because people want drama. And I think people are secretly hoping that Davis and LeBron would hate each other and that Dwight Howard and Rondo would get into like a gunfight in the locker room or something like that. And just none of that's happened. Uh, I kind of wish that had happened, but people just need to enjoy the basketball. That's my theory. We all agree Rondo would win in a fight against uh, Dwight Howard, right? Absolutely. Especially new, thin Dwight Howard. Right. Uh, when he was 60 pounds heavier, Dwight Howard could pretty much destroy anybody with one punch, but I, I don't think Dwight Howard's like that anymore, and more specifically, I think uh, Rondo's just a little bit too smart to get hurt by Dwight Howard, who seems to have no concept of time or space when he's not rebounding or switching on defense. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll wrap it up. Back soon.